following is a production of Word Alive Creative Arts. Welcome to the podcast of Word Alive International Outreach in Oxford, Alabama, an apostolic center for transformation and freedom. We pray today that you will be blessed and strengthened by this powerful message. When we took this step into All In Alabama uh, 2020, all of a sudden a book showed up in my office that a a friend here in church uh, bought for me called All In. It's written by a guy named Mark Batterson who's a wrote Circle Maker and uh, In the Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. Uh, some remarkable writings. I love Mark Batterson's writing. He's a pastor in Washington, D.C., and so I have to give him credit for some of the insight I want to share with you. This book is really challenging me, challenging my thoughts about how I'm living and how I want to live as a Christian. And... Before we got too far into 2020, I wanted to spend some time with you discussing what it looks like, maybe the next two or three weeks, what does it really mean to look like or how is it that we live all in? By saying all in, you know the poker chips all on the table. Just to use an analogy, we can see like it's everything, nothing held back, all in. What does that look like? What is that, how do you get there? What, what is that all about, to live a life all in? This book got me after the first page. I love books like that. that you read one page and you, and, you got, and, and you got. In this first page, I just want to share this with you before I share from some thoughts today. It says, pack your coffin. A century ago, A band of brave souls became known as one-way missionaries. They purchased single tickets to the mission field without the return half. And instead of suitcases, they packed their few earthly belongings into coffins. And as they sailed out of port, they waved goodbye to everyone they loved, everything they knew, knowing they would never return home. A.W. Milne was one of those missionaries. He set sail for the new Hebrides Islands in the South Pacific, knowing full well that the headhunters who lived there had martyred every missionary before him. Milne says he did not fear for his life because he had already died to himself. His coffin was packed. For 35 years, he lived among that tribe and loved them. When he died, tribe members buried him in the middle of their village and inscribed these words, this epitaph on his tombstone. When he came There was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. When did we start believing that God wants to send us to safe places to do easy things? When did we start believing that holding the fort 
is faithfulness. That playing it safe is safe. When did we start believing that there's any greater privilege than sacrifice? When did we start believing that radical is anything but normal? Jesus did not die to keep us safe. Jesus died to make us dangerous. Faithfulness is not holding the fort. Faithfulness is storming the gates of hell. The will of God is not an insurance plan. It's a daring plan. The complete surrender of our lives to the cause of Christ isn't radical. It's normal. It's time to quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. It's time to go all in and all out for the all in all. Pack your coffin. When I read that, I've cried every time I've quoted it. I've cried every time I've read it because I realized the impact of an individual all in for the Lord. The impact we can have as individuals once we determine to go all in for the Lord. Now, I see some of your looks. Don't be discouraged. We're not packing coffins today. I'd be like, I just got a new job. <laughs> We're talking about a, a mindset of what that looks like and the results that could happen if we were to go all in, quit playing it safe, put all the chips on the table for the Lord. I believe one of the things that keeps us from this place is what this author termed, and I liked it, called the inverted gospel. The inverted gospel. In the 16th century, astronomer, astronomer Nicholas Copernicus, I think, challenged the belief that the earth was the center of the universe. He argued the sun doesn't actually revolve around the earth. Actually, the earth revolves around the sun. It turned the scientific world upside down, you see. I think most of us probably need to have a Copernicus, 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 Copernicus. Thank you, Beverly, my God. Love you back. I'm all in. A Copernicus revelation. What is that? Simply, the world does not revolve around you. The world does not revolve around me. It's a hard pill to swallow. But it's a revelation we got to get. You know, when we're born into this world, the world does revolve around us. We're spoon-fed in the front end and diaper changed on the back end and 
It's as if the entire world is here to meet our needs. But that's fine at two and a half, but not at 22. There comes a point you realize, wait a minute. Newsflash. You're not the center of the universe. There's something bigger, something more than just my needs, my life, my plan, my family, my future, my happiness, my well-being. I believe at the, at, it's, at the core, sin is selfishness. If we just want to make it really simple because we can paint all kind of stuff, you know, about what we think is sin, sin for you, sin for me. Reality, I think missing the mark, which is what sin actually means, is simply selfishness. We try to label it with different behaviors, different attitudes, different things we do or don't do. In reality, the simple definition, in my opinion, of sin is self, selfishness. It's enthroning ourselves our desires, our needs, our plans above all else. We may seek God, but we don't seek him first. We're not really Christ-centered, we're me-centered. And it's less about us serving his purposes and actually more about him serving our purposes. This author calls it the inverted gospel, turned in instead of out. And ask this question, who's following who? A lot of us think we're following Jesus, but let's just be honest. In reality, we've actually invited him to follow us. Lord, please come into my life. Please forgive me of my sins and please help me. And so as I go along with my life, Lord, please be here with me. Help me, bless me, protect me, encourage me, be there for me, help me, love me. And he does all that. But what happens is when you're not living all in and you're living your own path, your path doesn't lead you to true happiness. So sooner or later, you get disappointed with you and him. I know how it is. We come to church on Sunday, break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. I'm no longer slaved. I mean, we were bold on Sunday. Then we get out here on Monday. And you young people be like, oh, he's cute. I think I'm going to date him. Lord's like, I don't think you know him. That's right, Lord, I don't, but I want to know him. So you investigate. Doesn't love God, isn't interested in church, and you're like, well, that's all right. We really don't know each other yet. We'll work on that. Come on. And the next thing you know, you get off out here and you get into a bad place, and then you're all of a sudden like, Lord, how did you let me get here? Lord, where were you? I thought you were breaking every chain. Lord said, I didn't lead you there. You led me there. Touch your neighbor and say, who's following who? (laughs) 
Lord, I thank you. I've been healed of diabetes. And you go home and that banana pudding starts talking to you out of the refrigerator. It's in all areas. We ain't got time today to get in the money thing. You see, I think we call him Savior, but we never surrender to him as Lord. And there's a difference. People ask me continually, they say, Kent, your testimony was you were a drug addict and then you just weren't. And they ask me, what is it that made the difference in your life? And I've thought about it more than one time for sure. And I know for me, I'm not saying this is the case for everybody, but for me, it was I was saved as a drug addict. I was saved and was a drug addict. But what happened for me was, is when I got to an end of the life experience, where I had overdosed and realized this may be the end. And it wasn't even that I was necessarily afraid of dying. It was just that I hated to die and not have fulfilled what I felt like I was actually here to do. And it was at that point that I made a decision not to enjoy Jesus as Savior, but to make him Lord of every aspect of my life. And that changed everything for me. And I think the difference in the church that has power and the church that doesn't have power is the church that doesn't have power basically focuses on salvation, which is awesome, but the church that truly has power is who focuses on Jesus' lordship. Jesus, I love worshiping Jesus, but not one time in Scripture did he say, worship me. He said, follow me. Follow me. It's gut-wrenching to surrender full control to him, I'm telling you. It's one of the most gut-wrenching decisions you'll ever make to give full control to somebody else. It's like the rich young ruler. He said, what do I do to have eternal life? Jesus said, well, you know the, good, you know the commandments. Do this, do this, do this. The rich young ruler said, I've done them all. That's pretty awesome. He said, I've done them all. Jesus said, you lack one thing. He said, what's that? Sell what you have. Give to the poor and come follow me. Says he left sad. Now, I've looked at that a lot. Why did he leave sad? I don't think he left sad because Jesus was offensive because it actually starts out the conversation. It says Jesus loved him. I think it was sad because he realized he had missed a divine opportunity to live an adventure of a lifetime. And I imagine on his deathbed, that rich young ruler may have prospered the rest of his life, but I, I can imagine on his deathbed, the thoughts run through his mind. What if, I, what if I had done it? What if I had obeyed the Lord? What could have happened? What could God have done? Now, you know Jesus like I do. Jesus wasn't looking for his stuff. He was looking for his heart. 
because once he got his heart, he would have given him more stuff than he ever could have dreamed about. Jesus, Jesus told me this himself. He said, Ken, I don't have any problem with you having stuff. My problem is when stuff has you. I've, I've seen few people demon-possessed, but I've seen a lot of people possessed by possessions. And it's, and it's a tough decision when you really want to surrender everything, even the outcome, to the Lord. It's a tough decision to make, but I promise you, like the rich young leader, on the other side of it, if you'll make it, there are benefits beyond description. It is an adventure like you have never got to live before. I promise you, you give, you give Jesus your all, he will give you his all, and I promise you, his all is better and bigger and grander than anything you could have ever thought, dreamed, or imagined. But fear, we feel like we're going to miss out if we were to let go. Because we think we have the plan instead of his plan. When I first got delivered off drugs and it made Jesus Lord, I was working for a company and Bev and I were living here and we were living with my, my sister Brenda who's here and, her, we, and my mom and dad, we were like, we were like a, a, a tribe of gypsies living in a house right here. I mean, there was, we were like 20 of us in a ranch style home and you know, we were like, Lord, what in the world is going on here? And I'd gotten saved, and I'm carrying around a little new pocket, a little, a little New Testament pocket division. I'm, I'm on fire for the Lord, you know. And, and Bev thinks I've joined a cult, and it was just bizarre. And she gets saved right here in the front of her car smoking a joint. Now she's on fire, and we're both on fire. And, you know, we're, we're trucking truck, truck for Jesus. And, and uh, <laughs> no, I'm not saying go smoke a joint to get saved. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that's what she was doing. Please. We're broke, living with family. All of a sudden, I started getting calls. Please come back to work for us. Giant salary, buy you a house, give you a car. I told Bev, I said, Bev, I've got this offer. She said, sounds like God to me. I said, well, let's pray about it. I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Now, in the natural, we needed money, we needed a car, we needed a house, we needed all the things they were ready to provide. A lot of us just think automatically, well, that must be the Lord. But Bev and I decided, wait a minute, let's pray about it. I thought it was the Lord, Bev thought it was the Lord. I mean, here you are in a massive need, and all of a sudden it shows. Gotta be God. Bev and I prayed, Lord, what you want us to do? He said, Lord, said, do not go there. We're like, Lord, you know we need a house, a car? The Lord said, yes, but do not go there. See, sometimes I believe like Elisha, you got to burn the plow you were working with in an old season before you step into a new season. You just got to shut a door and burn some things up to say, I'm not knowing where I'm going, but I'm telling you this, I'm not going back to where I used to be ever, ever, ever again. And we had to shut the door on that because that, that crew I ran with was wild. Count some Kleenex. I'm like snotting all over myself. My jeans are getting dirtier. And my... Sorry. Appreciate that. Sorry about that. It's getting ugly up here. So we gave up a big salary house to move to Orlando to work for my father on a go-kart track making minimum wage. 
my little hat on and shorts. I was like, Lord, what a great plan. How many know sometimes you got to step down to step up? Don't despise the day of small beginnings. God's always got a plan he's going to take you to and move you into. Sitting there selling go-kart tickets on a go-kart track. Great career I had going. Next thing you know, a guy, guy I used to smoke a lot of dope with calls me. Lives in the same city in Orlando. He said, man, I'm glad to find out you're in town. Let's smoke some weed. I said, man, I don't do that anymore. I've been born again. He said, you got to be kidding. My wife's got born again. He said, she goes to this radical church, named, a guy named Benny Hinn. He said, you ever heard of him? I said, no, not in my life. He said, man, I love to go and smoke a joint. It trips me out. Come on, I'll take you there Sunday. <laughs> So little did I know that God had shut a door for me to go back and work for a corporation and sent me to Orlando to work at a go-kart track so a dope-smoking friend of mine could take me to Benny Hinn and move me into my destiny and my purpose and now travel to 65 nations and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world because God's got a plan and it's bigger and greater and grander than anything you can dream or imagine. Touch your neighbor, say, I'm thinking about going all in. I could have never dreamed of the life I've lived. Eye has not seen. Ear has not heard. Your mind can't even comprehend the good things God has for those who love him. And we've had several all-in moments in our journey. It's not just one. There are many moments that God will come and say, all in. But they're defining moments. They're not every day, they're not every week. But there are, I would say, if you look at Abraham's life and the old patriarch, two or three lifetime moments you'll determine are you going all in or not. And, it does, and that one decision changes everything. My, you've heard some of these stories, but it's, it's worth talking about again. My wife, Bev, she was really reading the scriptures, really praying. Her dad had been in prison for 16 years. Very abusive to her family. She hated him, despised him. Didn't care if she ever saw him again. Every time she'd read the scripture, somehow it would fall to the point, I was in prison, and you didn't visit me. Supernaturally, it would come. Next thing you know, the Lord said, I want you to go and forgive him. Well, well, he's supposed to me forgive him. That's not the way it works. He should be asking for her forgiveness. Lord said, no, you go and forgive him. It was an all-in moment. He was serving a life prison sentence. She didn't ever have to see him again. And she could have just forgave him in her heart. That's that Christian thing, isn't it? I just forgive him in my heart. Lord said, no, won't you get in a car, drive 16 hours, walk in the prison, see him face to face. 
We got ready for that trip. Something happened in her brain. She went blind in her right eye. We're at Walmart. She couldn't see. I called my sisters who are nurses. They said, we don't know what it is, but it's an emergency situation. Get to the emergency room. Next thing you know, we're on the way to forgive her dad. She's in the ER. Plugs, tubes, wires. They said, you either got a brain bleed or a clot. We prayed. God gave us a word. I went and told Bev. Bev's a much greater person of faith than I am. I promise you. She's bold like a lion. Like when, like when I think there's a demon in our house, when I think there's a demon in our house, I pray in the bed, I send Bev to go find out what's going on. You know what I mean? I'm the intercessor. I send Bev to investigate to see if there's anything out there, and I cover her in prayer. I went in there, and I told her that word. She said, did God speak to you that I'm going to be okay? I said, Yes. She pulled those tubes out of her nose. I'm not recommending this either. Pulled those things out of her veins. She said, they put me in a wheelchair and laid me in the back of the car. We're going to North Carolina. We walked her out of that hospital against the doctor's advice. I'm not advising that either. But we were all in. She said, I'm going to forgive my dad, and if I die, I'll die in the back seat of the car, but I'm not dying in a hospital bed. We laid her down. We drove to North Carolina. The further we drove, the better she got. The further we drove, the better she got. By the time we got there, her sight was back. By the time we walked in there, spent three hours. He didn't say one word to her, only talked to me, ignored her, and said to her, if it wasn't for him and this grandson of mine, I wouldn't even come out here. She said, I really don't care what you've got to say. I came for one purpose. Jesus Christ has forgiven me of everything, and I'm here to forgive you of everything, and I love you, and I bless you in the name of Jesus. We walked out of that prison door. She walked out of a prison she'd been in for 16 years. And the next thing you know, all of heaven opened up on our lives and blessings began to overtake us that you can't dream, think, or imagine. Somebody shout, I'm about to go all in. Tell them, I'm about to go all in. See, I'm persuaded we've invited people to buy in and not sell out. Buy in, but not sell out. We give people just enough Jesus to get them bored. Where you come to church, you're like, it's another Sunday service. You know, I hear the chains falling. We give people just enough Jesus to be bored, but not enough Jesus to feel the surge of holy adrenaline that courses through your veins when you decide to go all in for something or someone. It's frightening when you get out here with God. God tells you to write a check that's everything you got. Tells you to get out of the boat and walk on the water knowing if God don't come through, you're going to It's like, if you've never felt that holy adrenaline going through your veins, you've not lived yet. It's exciting. Believe me, following Jesus, I've been following for 33 years, and it is, nothing, it is anything but boring. giving away precious stuff, stepping out of the boat, taking leaps of faith, burning up all options. Don't get me wrong. The gospel in its purest form is as good as it gets. 
it's free. But to really enjoy it, it costs you everything. See, we want God on our terms. But we don't get God that way. That's how you get false religion. That's you pick and choose, cut and paste God. And the next thing you know, all you got is a false image that you're worshiping. You have no power, you have no joy, and you have no fulfillment because you're just worshiping the idol that you've created out of your own religiosity. Because you tried to get God on your terms. I know all you, I know y'all, I used to party with some of y'all. I know that when you smoked up, you're like, God, if you ever let me come down, I'll never do this. Lord, just let me come down, I won't ever. Get me out of this, Lord. Elijah put it the best. How long will you halt between two opinions? If God be God, like if God's really God, no, and I'm not talking about theologically. I'm talking about if Jesus is alive. And he really has defeated Heth, Heth, Heth Dell in the grave. Defeated death, hell, and the grave. And he really is alive in heaven today. And he really has sent the Holy Spirit. And he really does have a personal plan for your life, according to Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have towards you, says God, thoughts of good, not of evil, to give you a good and expected future. And he really is for you, not against you. If he's really God, then follow God. If not, follow Baal. That's the world, the world system. But don't live in between. Jesus said it like this. I had rather you be hot or cold. But don't be lukewarm. I've really thought about that lately. That didn't make any sense for a long time. Why would Jesus say I'd rather you be cold than hot? I would think he would be pleased that I was warm. Not cold. While warm, at least I've been close to the fire. Warm, at least I'm closer to the fire than being cold. Warm, at least, at, at least I'm embracing some of it. The Lord said, no, I'd rather you be cold than hot. And I think I understand more of that now than ever. Why? If I'm warm, I have no desire to get hot. I'm enjoying just enough to be warm, but not enough to ever get hot. In actuality, if I'm cold outside the will of God, away from God, I get to empty quicker. People who play around with church and just come in and out with God and think they're okay with God, that what happens is you don't get to empty quick. You don't get to the end of yourself fast enough. Jesus said, I'd rather you live a life that gets you to the end of yourself quicker than to think you're halfway in with me and you don't get to the end of yourself quicker. We get enough of Jesus to be informed but not transformed. Let me put it just like we can understand it. I've lived this way and it's miserable. I have just enough Jesus to not enjoy sin and just enough sin to not enjoy Jesus. Touch your neighbor and say, I'm sorry, he's preaching right to you right now. Tell him. <laughs> have you lived like that? I have. I've, I'm, I'm enjoying sin just enough not to really enjoy Jesus. 
But I'm also enjoying Jesus just enough to not enjoy my sin. At least when I was cold out there partying my behind off, I was enjoying. I don't know about you. I enjoyed my sin. I'll be back to talk to y'all later. I said I enjoyed my sin. Man, when we, we partied with Prince like it's 1990. You know, we, we, I mean, I ain't doing a bump. I'm doing a bag. You know what I'm, I mean? I mean, we, we, we not playing with it. When I, went, I didn't play with sin. I dove deep into sin. I was the chief of sinners. Why? I don't like doing anything halfway. If we're going to party, let's party. Now, I understand the wages of its death. But if we're going to do it, let's do it. But let's don't dibble and dabble in it and then dibble and dabble in Jesus and think you're going to live any resemblance of peace, of existence on the earth. Either if God be God, follow God. If the world be God, then follow the world. But don't live in between. You will be miserable. Side note, I have enjoyed Jesus. And been higher in Jesus than I ever was in the world. But trust me, I'm just as wild about him as I was about cocaine. I can't get enough. I can't get enough of him. I, I want him in the morning. I want him in the afternoon. I want him at night. I want this Jesus and I want all of him. Shout, I'm thinking about going all in. This thing should overtake us. We should continually be like little children falling in love with a heavenly father. Being awed at what he's doing. We should be continually full of adrenaline in blind obedience to the Holy Spirit. When he speaks, we move. When he talks, we obey. Living on the edge, out on the limb. While I like living out on the limb, that's where the big fruit is. You may break and fall, but that's where the big fruit is. Jesus didn't die to make us safe. He died to make us dangerous. Consecrate yourselves today, Joshua said, for the Lord will do amazing things. You want to see amazing things in your life? You don't have to accomplish them. You don't have to produce them. You just consecrate yourself. What does that mean? Fully devoted. And trust me, that's not paying tithes. That's not volunteerism. That's not even going on a missions trip. I love all that. That's great. Fully devoted is you take you off the throne. That's all it means. I'm not saying I'm going to get better. I'm not saying I'm changing my behavior. I'm not saying I'm changing anything. I'm just saying I'm getting off the throne. And I'm welcoming you to get on the throne, and wherever you lead me, I will follow. Whatever you tell me, I will do it. And whatever happens, I'm good with it. I am not in charge anymore.
want a life to live consecrated for his purposes. It's like putting Isaac on the altar. It's like Moses throwing down his staff. It's like Elijah burning his plow equipment. Like Peter getting out of the boat. It's giving over to God's will and God's purpose. And I'm persuaded that this is a word from heaven for us. And it's not because God is wanting to limit us. He's actually wanting to take the limits off of us. And to see what he can do with a life fully devoted and consecrated to him. I want to give you one scripture so you know I'm a real preacher. This is Luke 17, I think it is. Verse 33. If you grasp and cling to life on your terms, you'll lose it. But if you'll let go of that life, you'll get life on God's terms. Can we just be honest? Aren't you tired of living in the middle? I hate the middle. I hate the middle of anything. Why? In the middle, I'm just as close to the bottom as I am the top. I hate the middle. I hate the middle seat on a plane. Push me up against the wall or throw me out in the aisle, but don't stick me in the middle. It's miserable. I don't even like the cream in an Oreo. Scrape it off and give me the two crunchy bits. I hate the middle. I hate, I'm just going to say, I hate having just enough. I'd rather just be broke and not even think about it than to have just enough and have to think too much about it because I ain't got enough to do what I feel like I'm supposed to do. And I just don't believe that God's called any of us to live traditional, normal Christianity. You know why? Because if you were called to do that, you wouldn't be here with me. Because I am far from normal, traditional Christianity. Come on. But how many of you would like to say 2020... You know what? I'm thinking about burning some plow stuff. I'm thinking about putting some stuff on the altar. I'm thinking about letting go of some things that's been hanging on to me. And I'm saying I'm ready to let go of the life I've known and grab hold of the life that God has for me this decade. This has been a presentation of Word Alive International Outreach, 122 Allendale Road, Oxford, Alabama. Reach us by phone at 256-831-5280 or at our website, wordalive.org. This has been a production of Word Alive Creative Arts.